So I learned this week about a community that speaks to the dead. It's a small rural community in New York. It looks like uh, many other communities, the old Victorian houses, uh, oak trees line the sidewalks. and, and uh, But if you look a little closer, you'll see some things that are probably out of the normal for us. You'll see a sign in one house, medium open. Another place, Healing Temple. Welcome to Lilydale, a small community in New York. It's the America's oldest spiritist community. It was founded in 1879. It started as an adult spiritualism summer camp. People would come, set up tents, and then wait for the dead to arrive so they could talk to the dead. They held seances and, and message services. Uh, it's been said that Arthur Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, and, and uh, Thomas Edison visited this town back in the day. Uh, spiritualism, they say, is committed to proving the continuity of life by communicating with spirits who have passed on. In other words, dead people. What began as a tented summer camp is now a small hamlet. It has 250 residents. Uh, some, many of those are registered mediums. And every summer, Lilydale welcomes an estimated 30,000 visitors searching for healing or spiritual guidance or other uh, come out for curiosity and skepticism. A 4 p.m. service was held at the Forest Temple, an outdoor structure that dates back to 1894. At these services, there is a, a medium who gets up. And then he starts listening. And then he says, I'm getting a message from Mary. Is anybody here connected to Mary? There's a silence. Eventually, someone raises her hand. I have an a, a ancestor named Mary. And they say, well, Mary wants you to know that she's always watching over you and she's been beside you in this life. Then Mary leaves and the medium contacts another spirit to bring another message to someone. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't buy into it, folks. Listen to what the Scripture says. Leviticus 19.31 Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. Leviticus 20, verse 6, God speaking, I will set my face against anyone who turns to medium and spirit, spiritists. 2 Kings 21.6 talked about uh, Manasseh, uh, the king at that time. And it says he consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Isaiah 18.9, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Why well, consult the dead on behalf of the living? Or Jeremiah 27.9, so do not listen to your prophets, diviners, interpreters of dreams, your mediums and sorcerers. God tells us don't do it. Don't, don't seek out a message from the dead for the living.
Don't seek out mediums and psychics and such. I happened to come across an article this week about a man named Mark Edwards. He wrote a book, Psychic Blues, Confessions of a Conflicted Medium. He gives some thoughts on how people in the world hunger for a sense of community and, and spiritual truth. But Edwards admits for decades he has peddled what he called junkyard superstition. He said it's for the lonely, the hopeful, the dim. Among his many roles, he served as a uh, dial -a psychic with Psychic Friends Network, which, by the way, went bankrupt, uh, a party psychic, a mentalist, a rent-a-psychic, a, a palm reader. Uh, he's done it all. And he said he didn't have any extra, extra paranormal powers. He just relied on intuition, common sense, and genuine empathy. And he said nobody else has any powers either. He still claims that he helped people because people have a spiritual hunger. You know, there are spiritual beings mentioned in the Bible. The devil, Satan. And he has demons. And there are angels mentioned. In fact, the Bible says God is spirit. So there are spiritual beings. But there's one spiritual being that God really wants us to seek out. And that is God's Holy Spirit. And we're beginning a series today. It's called Life in the Spirit. And, and I raise this question, why live by the Spirit? The Bible talks about living by the Spirit. This is a Spirit that we want to know, that we want to seek out, that we want to contact, and that we don't want to fear. In John 3, 5, it says, No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born of water and the Spirit. I believe the water he's talking about is the baptism. And the Spirit is the, is the Holy Spirit that we receive when we uh, are baptized and we commit our lives to Christ. Turn with me today in Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. Of course, Apostle Paul wrote this book, uh, perhaps one of the most influential books on Christianity uh, uh, that was ever written. Uh, the main theme is salvation by grace. Uh, comes through grace as a gift of God by faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe and confess and repent and are baptized into Christ. But in this book, in chapter 8 here, Paul tells us that God desires for those who have placed their faith in Christ then to live by the Spirit. Let's listen to the first few verses here. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
There's three ideas that I want to pull out of this message today that I want us to really think through. And the first idea is this. In Christ, we receive the Spirit to guide our lives. Notice he says there in the beginning of that chapter, in Christ. What does that mean? It means those who have made that genuine commitment to follow Christ, to be one of His. And the text speaks of the Spirit who gives life. You know, we have to begin to understand that Spirit. And as we do as humans, we have to realize that we are more than just a body. We have a, a soul or a spirit inside of us that gives us life. Now, there's a lot of debate on whether or not the soul and the spirit are the same thing or, or they are two separate things. Uh, word seems to be used interchangeably in the Bible. For example, Job chapter 7 verse 11 says, uh, I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Anguish of spirit, bitterness of soul seem to be the same thing. Uh, seems to be that they're used interchangeably there. Isaiah 26, 9. Uh, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Uh, seems like they're being used interchangeably there. Although there is a verse in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12, that says that the Word of God can divide soul and spirit. So, both of these words refer, though, to this inner person, to the, the part of the person that gives life. It's the place known as the seat of the will where we make decisions. It's the origin of the emotions. It's the center of a person's personality. It is the spirit or the soul of that person. I think it's interesting in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, talks about God formed the human body out of the ground. And then it says it breathed into man life and he became a living soul. The interesting thing there is that the word rock is used. R-A-U-C-H is a transliteration of the Hebrew word. It's the word in Hebrew for breath or wind or spirit or even ghost. Pneuma is the Greek word also for breath and wind and spirit. So when the Bible uses those words in those original language, you have to determine the context, what it's talking about. God, it says here, breathed or put his spirit into Adam and he became a living soul. So we have to understand that we each have our own spirit, our own soul inside of us. It's, it's what gives us life. You take away that soul, that spirit, we fall to the ground. We are dead. They take us and bury us. The Bible talks about the soul then going to be present with the Lord. But when we commit our lives to Christ, in the book of Acts, verse 238, chapter 238, it says, when you repent and are baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God's Spirit comes to live with us, to 
to meld with our spirit and our soul. That's why the Bible says to live by the Spirit, to walk by, to be led by the Spirit, to, to know by the Spirit, to be gifted by the Spirit, speak by the Spirit, be taught by the Spirit, be governed by and compelled by, even to be moved by the Spirit. And you know, that Spirit will guide us if we let it. Notice I said, if we let it. Because we can resist the Holy Spirit. Again, in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen. He was one of the first deacons in the early church, appointed in Acts chapter 6. The Bible says about him he was a man full of God's grace and power. But opposition rose to him. He was ministering and preaching and teaching there in Jerusalem in the name of Jesus, and people didn't like it. Some of the Jewish leaders, some of the Jewish folks didn't like what he was preaching and teaching, and they trumped up charges that he had blasphemed Moses and spoke against God, and they brought charges against him and brought him before the Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council. And they asked him, you know, were these charges true? And Stephen launched in to a message that takes up all of chapter 7 in Acts. And he gets to the end of that message after he's made a case for Jesus. And he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You see, we can resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But why would we? God gave us that Spirit to live and dwell inside of us. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the, the power and the presence of God on earth for the believer. So, in Christ, we receive this Holy Spirit to guide us. Second idea I want you to see is that life in the Spirit contrasts life in the flesh. Paul talks about that there in those verses. Several times he mentions Spirit, of course, Holy Spirit, but then flesh. That is, the, some translations call it the sin nature. It's life in the flesh. It's the Greek word sarks. And the Bible teaches that we have all inherited this sin nature of Adam. Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. And so there is this there is this sin nature that we have. But through faith in Christ, we are forgiven of our sin. Uh, we receive God's Holy Spirit, and that Spirit begins to work to transform us and to sanctify us. Sanctify means to be made holy. And as that Spirit works and transforms us, we are, are made more holy. We are given a new life, not a life of the flesh, but a life in the Spirit, a life of holy living. And that Spirit helps us understand the Word of God and thus the will of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, excuse me, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. 
there are some things that we can only understand about God and about God's will because we have the Holy Spirit within our lives. They are spiritually discerned. And the Spirit works to bring conviction on our life. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. God works to convict us of our sin so that we turn to Him and become more like Jesus day by day. Joe Joe Guerrero had a five-year-old little girl, and this little girl had disobeyed her mother, and so Joe sent her back to her room. In a few minutes, she went back to talk to the little girl, Barbara. As she walked in, Barbara said to her mom, Why do we do wrong things, Mommy? Mom replied, Sometimes the devil tells us to do something wrong. We listen to him. We need to listen to God instead. The little girl looked up through big crocodile tears and sobbing and said, But mommy, sometimes God doesn't talk loud enough. We've all experienced that. But you know, when you have this connection with God's Spirit, you don't need to hear an audible voice. God will convict. God will guide. God will give you the message and He will nudge you in the way that you will need to go. He will remind you and convict you and, and steer you from the temptation from living in the flesh. So God wants us to follow the Spirit, not the way of the flesh. The third idea we should pull out is that life in the Spirit is free from the law of sin and death. In fact, if you look at at Romans chapter 8 verse 2 because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life set you free from the law of sin and death we're set free to get this we have to really understand a contrast between life under the law of Moses and life in the Spirit under Moses God gave the Hebrew people a law code uh, we sometimes refer to that as the Ten Commandments, but it was, it was more than that. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, lay out this law code that God gave His people. Uh, in there, uh, if you broke one of those laws, one of those commandments, you were allowed to be forgiven, though breaking the law condemned you, basically. But you could find forgiveness by bringing an animal sacrifice to a priest at the temple. And that animal would be sacrificed on your behalf to pay the penalty for your sin, and thus there was forgiveness. Over and over, when you sinned, you had to make one of those sacrifices. But God came on the scene in the form of Jesus. And Jesus, God gave Jesus... As a sin sacrifice, the Bible says once for all. A one-time sacrifice that all who believe in Him will receive forgiveness and be set free from the penalty of their sin. Now, this law code 
it basically had three parts to it. There was part of that old covenant that had to do with uh, the moral code, how you live your life. Part of it had to do with the Levitical code, that is the temple worship, how they were to practice their worship at the temple and it had to do with the sacrifices and what kind of sacrifices and all that. And then there was the civil code that had to do with property and land and ownership and, and public records and things that were kept by the priest at the temple. That was the old covenant. It was complicated. God said in Jeremiah chapter 31... Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors as I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. In fact, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3.3 says, that code will be written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so once, once this new covenant was in place, this covenant of grace under Jesus Christ, we no longer needed the old covenant, especially the Levitical code, the temple worship. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, so we couldn't practice that part of the covenant. The, the civil code, all the records were destroyed. Couldn't practice that part of the covenant. The moral code still gave us guidance as to how to live our lives, but we were forgiven of our sin by faith in Jesus Christ. So under the new covenant, all we need is Jesus. And to follow Jesus. And he puts his spirit inside of us to help us overcome sin. And give us the promise of eternal life. It's life changing. I came across an article this week in my preparation. Oddly, it's from today's Christian woman. Now, I don't make a habit of reading today's Christian woman. But I came across this article. And the title of it was From Witch to Christian. Kimberly Shoemate tells how she became a Christian after years and years of practicing as a witch. We pick up the story. She came into a church and she offered a prayer. She came in, Lord, if you want me to stay here and learn something, then you've got to put somebody in my path that I can connect to. As soon as she said that prayer, the minister said, would you all stand up and shake hands with somebody close by? And she did, and she met a girl with dyed bright red hair and a nose ring, and Kimberly said, I knew right off I was going to connect with her because I had black and white hair and a spiked belt. We just seemed to be from a similar place. Kimberly also admits she was spiritually void at this time in her life. Turns out witchcraft wasn't working so well for her. And she was seeking something spiritual that had meaning. She says, looking back, I, I wonder 
how members of that church would put up with me. Because every Sunday after the message, I would go straight to the minister and begin to, to complain to him and, and talk about how the verses didn't make sense and, and poke holes in, in his story. Eventually, she said, he handed me off to an associate minister, and then I went through all the elders in the church to, to try to debunk Christianity. She wound up at a, Wednesday, a Friday night Bible study in one home. She sat on the floor and listened to the case. And as soon as the Bible study was over and all the people had left, she sat with the leader there and began to poke, try to poke holes in his case for the gospel. And she said every time he did, he brought a verse back that just shut her down. Eventually, she was exhausted and weakened. And she realized... What she'd been looking for all these years was really Jesus. Here's her own words. The Holy Spirit began melting my vanity and arrogance with a power stronger than any hex, incantation, or spell I'd ever used. Suddenly, the blindfold I'd worn for almost 30 years was stripped away, and instantly I knew I'd been searching for Jesus. And she found it. And it changed her life. Because she opened her heart to the gospel and let the Holy Spirit come in. Here's our connection today. Life in the Spirit leads to life, to the life God desires for us. You know, we really got to all ask ourselves a question. Will we be stiff-necked like the people Stephen was preaching to? Or will we let that Holy Spirit come into our lives and begin to work and begin to change? Will we let that Spirit intertwine with our spirit so that we are continuously growing and growing closer to Christ and growing to become more Christ-like? I like what John the Baptist said when he pointed to Jesus and said, He must become greater, I must become less. One man heard that passage and he said, Lord, or he prayed, let there be more and more of Jesus and less and less of me until it becomes all of Jesus and none of me. And perhaps that should be all of our prayers. But the only way to do that is to live by the Spirit. And the good news is that Spirit will set you free. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit, for the Spirit that comes into our lives that you freely give us when we commit our lives to Christ, that you send to, to guide us, to to lead us, to convict us, to remind us, to do all those things that the Bible said so that we can grow spiritually and day by day become more and more Christ-like. For it's in Christ that we know that we live the life that you have called us to. So help us all to appreciate the Holy Spirit 
and to live for Christ. In his name, we pray and praise. Amen.